your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Read verses 33 to verse 37. Part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. As part of the reading of God's word, I invite you to take out the Forms and Prayers book and turn with me to page 244. Lord's Day 36. We're going to, I'm going to ask question and answer 99. Congregation, please respond with the answer. This is in regards to the third commandment, which says, You shall not make wrongful use or misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name or takes his name in vain. Question and answer 99 asks, What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Congregation, I encourage you to leave the forms and prayers book open as we'll look at that in the course of the sermon. Let us go before the Lord in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would grant us spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear what The Spirit is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to honor your great name. Every day that we live, may we honor his name. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we receive the word with hearts of faith and desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That is in Christ our Lord. We pray this in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Congregation of Christ, in the first commandment, God commands us that we shall have no other gods before him. So the first commandment teaches us the object of our worship, the true God of the Bible. The second commandment teaches us the manner in which we are to worship this true God. And we looked at that last Sunday evening. This evening we look at the third commandment, study the third third commandment. You shall not take 
or misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Literally, it can be translated, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord. You shall not bear up the Lord's name and use it in vain. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Well, there are at least three ways to take his name in vain, at least. Now, I know in my notes, I didn't give you much room in terms of the introductory part, so if you want to take notes here on the introduction, turn the page. But there are three, at least three parts to this, three ways. First, God's name is misused or taken up in vain when we call upon his name and confess his name in worship with a heart that is far from him. And we see this ever so clearly in Isaiah chapter 1. And so the third commandment is, what's your attitude toward God in worship? You confess him with your lips, but where is your heart? In Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord rebuked them, rebuked the Israelites, because they offered sacrifices. They were going through the motions, and yet their heart was far from them. And the Lord said, I've had enough. I've had enough of your worship. You may be doing all the right things, but your heart is so far from me. Why are you bringing, the Lord says, meaningless offerings, empty sacrifices of praise to the Lord? Preachers, parishioners can offer empty worship to God and thereby taking the Lord's name, lifting up the Lord's name in an empty way. Oh yeah, churches can do that. We can do that. The Lord's name can be taken up when man-centered worship takes over the worship service. We may call upon his name and say, it is the Lord's will. It's as if Christians prophesy in the Lord's wi- that something is the Lord's will. That's taking the Lord's name in vain and, and attributing something to the Lord. Does it come true? How do you know? This can be done in worship. When preaching and worship isn't tethered to the Bible, and we make claims, truth claims, claiming God's name behind it, when in fact it's not true, that is taking up the Lord's name in vain. Others may commit evil and think that they are doing a service to God in his name. That's another way in which the Lord's name is taken up in vain. To commit an evil and think that they're doing right by the Lord. And I have a great example for you. How about Saul of Tarsus? What did Saul of Tarsus do? He persecuted Christians. He called for the arrest of Christians. And he did it in what? In the Lord's name. He thought he was doing a service to the God of Israel. 
So God's name is taken up in vain when we call upon his name or confess his name in worship or in discerning the Lord's will or doing something and justifying it by calling out or giving credit to God's name or saying you're doing it in the name of the Lord when indeed it's contrary to his will, his revealed will. Well, his name is also misused when it's carelessly or flippantly or thoughtlessly spoken. And we see this probably most prevalent in our day, don't we? Oh my. It's as if God's name or the name of Jesus Christ is used as a filler, an interjection in a sentence. Whether it's in a conversation publicly or privately, Maybe in worship and prayer. This commandment teaches us to reverently and with great care use his name because his name is great and greatly to be praised. His name is wonderful and therefore his name must be treated with utmost respect, honor, and reverence. And we saw that in question and answer 99 of the catechism. The Jews in those days, maybe some parts of Judaism today, don't even use the name of God. They're so fearful of this commandment that they don't even speak the name of God. And that's going to come into play as we look at our text this morning from script, or this evening from Scripture, an oath-taking. They would call God Adonai, Jehovah. They would not take up the name Yahweh. The great I am, lest they be found guilty, but they found other ways to do it. And that's what Jesus addresses in the passage that I read this evening. Because there's a third way in which the name of God is misused. And it's misused when we do not keep our vows or promises or oaths when they are made with an appeal to God and in God's name. In our sermon text, Jesus challenges and corrects the interpretation of the letter of the law, namely the third commandment. And he gets to the spirit of the law. How does he do this? Well, let's look first at the context of the command. First point, verse 33. Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely or make false vows but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. To swear an oath means to make a solemn attestation of the truth, invoking God's name to bear witness to your words. I promise that in the name of God, I am, I'm saying the right thing. I'm saying, speaking the truth. I promise in God's name that I will do such and such a thing. And then going against that, Even in our justice system, when the witness takes a stand, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, what? God. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, or to the ancients, to those Old Testament saints who heard the words of Moses as he expounds the third commandment, we see this in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Leviticus 19, verse 11 and 12, for example, says, 
You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely or deceive. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely or deceptively. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Similarly, Numbers 30, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, this is a great passage, verses 21 to 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from bowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily bowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. When a person invoked God's name, when swearing an oath, the person was bound. That's important. That's important. He was bound to keep the oath lest he or she face judgment. And we see that in question and answer 100, if you look in your, the catechism. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed, no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. No sin is greater. Now you take that in New Testament context. What is the unpardonable sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Who is the third person of the blessed Trinity? The one name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Catechism rightly teaches us the consequences that come from God's word. When an oath is not kept, and when an oath is not kept, what happens to God's name? Well, it is profaned. It is what we would call dragged through the mud. Dragged through the mud. Because God is faithful and true. He does not lie. There is no falsehood in him. There is no deceit in him. In him. And so when we do a solemn oath in God's name, we are calling upon the God of truth to witness to our account. The Jewish tradition of interpretation sought to avoid the, third com- the breaking of the cur- third commandment. And Jesus is going to expose the hypocrisy of the early rabbis scribes and Pharisees because they interpreted this commandment to the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. They reduced the commandments. They reduced the commandments to the letter of the law. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is going to talk about that. He's going to speak to the hypocrisy, the ways in which the religious leaders tried to reduce the law, so that they would not be found guilty of breaking this commandment. So now we look to Jesus' interpretation of the command. Look with me in your Bible at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath or swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus says here that we should not swear an oath at all. Does he mean never ever? Does that all mean at all? When we compare scripture with scripture, swearing an oath wasn't forbidden by God in the Bible. In the New Testament or Old Testament. In fact, the forefathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob swore oaths. In Paul's epistle, he swore oaths to the congregations that he wrote to. This testimony is true, and he even evoked God's name. That his teachings, his writing is the truth of God. He made oaths. He made promises to the congregations. God himself makes an oath. Hebrews speaks to this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. God himself, who is unchangeable and who does not lie, vows an oath for the redemption of his people. And Jesus himself swears an oath. Do you remember when he was before the chief priests, the high priests, and they were questioning him? Matthew chapter 26, verses 62 and the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. I adjure you to make a solemn oath before God himself. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. That's when Jesus spoke. When he was called upon by the chief priest to make an oath of who he is. Jesus says, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And what do they say? He deserves death. He's a blasphemer. He's a breaker of the third commandment. Under oath, Jesus spoke the truth as God is his witness. Then God doesn't forbid oaths. So what is Jesus saying here? Do not take an oath at all. But look what it says. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. In other words, don't swear an oath by any of these created things. That's the at all. Do not create, make an oath by these created things that the scribes and Pharisees and rabbis of old commanded. Question and answer 101 of the catechism rightly asks, but may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? And the answer is yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthy worthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. But here's the issue that Jesus has. According to rabbinical tradition, there's a rabbinical tradition called the Talmud, which has a series of case laws, case studies, interpretations of the Old Testament laws. What they did was they 
categorized oaths into non-binding and binding. And that's where Jesus is going with this. If they made oaths, what does it say? Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, by earth, or by Jerusalem, or by your head. If I take an oath by those things, then I'm not taking an oath by God's name, and therefore it's non-binding should I break it. Are you following me? They found a way to reduce God's law and say, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by my mother's grave. You ever hear that one? Using every other created thing except God's name because they didn't want to be found guilty of the third, breaking the third commandment. And Jesus knows this. <laughs> and he's going to rebuke them for it and correct them. There's a part in the rabbinical tradition called the Shabuot, the Shabuot speaks to these various different kinds of oath-taking laws, non-binding and binding. Those non-binding oaths will not make one guilty should they break it. And so they swore by things like heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and even their own head. That is, their own life. That's what they're referring to, their own life. Didn't someone really well-known in the New Testament do this? I talked about Saul of Tarsus. What about Peter? Peter, the great apostle, the one who preached the mighty sermon at Pentecost. What did he do when he betrayed Jesus three times? He cursed, didn't he? I swear that I do not know this man. And he called upon his own life. But God is gracious and merciful, isn't he? And we'll look to that in a moment. Jesus says... You swear by these things, but you know what? They all belong to God anyways. They all belong to God. And when you call upon these things, you are ultimately calling upon God himself. You call upon the earth. Well, it's his footstool. You call upon heaven, but it's his throne. You call upon your own life. He owns you. You have no control over, even over the hairs of your head or the lack thereof. All belong to God, and therefore all lies and false testimonies take the Lord's name in vain. Question and answer 102 speaks to this. No, a legitimate oath is calling upon God as one who knows my heart to witness to the truth. And to punish me if I swear falsely, no created thing is worthy of such honor. Even, the, even James, James chapter 5, verse 12, 
picks up and echoes what Jesus teaches. James says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Jesus is getting to the heart. He's getting to the spirit of the law. And what is the spirit of the law in the third commandment? To honor God's name with truthful speech. Whether you make an oath or not, speak the truth, Christian. That's what we are called to do. Speak the truth, whether under oath or there are no oaths. We always are called to, and committed to speak the truth because God's name is at stake. God's name is glorified when his people speak truth. So whatever comes out of our mouth is binding before God. Always binding before God. God knows our hearts and we are accountable to him for what proceeds out of our mouths, especially as it relates to the truth. If you're taking notes, uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22, Jesus picks up on this again here. And this chapter is one of the woe chapters. Woe, you scribes and Pharisees. And he speaks to their reducing the third commandment again and reducing oath-taking. Jesus' interpretation of the command speaks to the spirit of the law. Honor God's name with truthful speech. Lastly, the, inter the application of the command Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than, than this comes from evil. Comes from evil because lies are from the pit of hell, from the devil. For the Christian, first, oaths are not necessary to speak the truth to your neighbor. But if you do swear an oath in court, honor God's name with the truth because the misuse of his name is to profane it. You ever hear of the saying, my word is my bond? I'm sure many of you who are much older than me remember the day where you can shake hands on it. You shook hands and there was a bond. You can take my word for it. Now today you need legal contracts to make things binding be between two parties according to the law of the land. But before God, when we come together, when we promise things to one another, when we have conversation in our relationships, it's the heart that always matters and our promises and vows and oaths are always binding before him. Remember that. Remember that. And so therefore, it's important, friends, that we take up his name and honor it by living lives of integrity, trustworthiness, reliability. Because these are all attributes of God, aren't they not? Attributes of God that are reflected in his people's lives by the Spirit of God. It's always amazing to hear stories of people in their vocations and how their employer speaks so highly of them because of their trustworthiness, 
their reliability. You ever hear that? I'm sure that you have. Christians are different, aren't they? We're different, aren't we? Why? Because God is doing a work in us to be a people of integrity, to bear up his name, to lift up his name, to use his name, to glorify him by speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. I'm going to close with this last point of application. Like the first and second commandments, the incarnate word that is Jesus Christ who assumed our human nature, God in flesh, brings such depth and spirit to the third commandment. Think about that. Reflect upon that. You shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus comes in the, the, the Son of God comes in the flesh and declares himself to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is God in flesh. You shall not make any graven images. And here we come, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, in human form. And now we have, you shall have no other, or you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not bear it up in vain. And here we have Jesus, the Son of God who assumed human flesh, and whose name we are saved. For there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. Jesus, in his coming, radically, profoundly, and deeply unpacks the third commandment for us. Not only to the scribes and Pharisees, but to us as well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The incarnate word brings depth and spirit to the third commandment. And Christ's name, too, is to be used reverently and honorably in worship, in our daily conversations. There was a missionary lady that we once knew who would hear unbelievers or believers use Jesus' name irreverently or carelessly. And I always was fascinated with her response, particularly to the unbelievers, because they do what they know. Paul says, do not judge the unbeliever. Judge those within the house of God. But to the unbeliever, when somebody would use Christ's name irreverently or as a filler or interjection in a sentence, she would say, oh, do you know him too? Our immediate response to those who do not know the Bible, do not know this commandment, and use the Lord's name in vain in these ways, we have a knee-jerk response, and it's often one of condemnation. When it should be a teaching opportunity. Do you know this God in whom you're invoking? Let me tell you about him. 
Oh, do you know him too? Let me tell you about him if you don't. We bear, congregation, we bear the name of Christ. We confess the name of Christ. We praise the name of Christ. Because Jesus is Lord and God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And his name is to be exalted in our lives. His name is to be praised. And we are to honor his name with truthful speech. Yes, the catechism says that lawbreakers, those who break the third commandment, are punished severely even by death in the New Old Testament. But Christ came and redeems and saves and heals and restores and forgives breakers of the third commandment. Peter. You, me. He is merciful. The Lord Jesus Christ, when we understand and reflect upon and meditate upon the word who became flesh that dwelt among us, he radically transforms and brings great depths to the first, second, and third commandments in such a way that evokes great praise and glory to his name. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you are merciful and compassionate and abounding in steadfast love. Indeed, in our hearts, we do not worship you as purely as we like, or with holy hearts as we ought. We still, in this life, if we're being honest with ourselves, do not invoke your name reverently. We find ourselves at times doing the opposite. And yet we are thankful, O oh Lord, that you are a forgiving and merciful Father who has cleansed us by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, O oh Lord, with gratitude in our hearts that we would desire to take up his name, the name of the one true God, and with our hearts and lips, reverently, honorably, Confess your name and speak the truth before your face and before our neighbor. Oh, Father, we pray for your help and for your grace to enable and empower us to walk in obedience to this commandment with gratitude, with thanksgiving 
and with great joy because we serve and worship the name of our great and awesome God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.